This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. It was in December in the year 1868, just before Christmas, that Phillips Brooks, who was a bachelor preacher, was preparing a sermon. While out in the sanctuary, the organist, whose name was Lewis Render, Redner, rather, was practicing for Christmas. The preacher put aside his work on his sermon. He wrote a little Christmas poem just for the children of his Sunday school in his church. Brooks asked the organist if he would compose a little tune for the verse he had just written. And so the organist carried that poem with him for several days. And then on the night before Christmas, he awoke to the strains of a melody that he said seemed to come down out of heaven. He got up out of bed and wrote the notes down. The next morning, the children of that little church sang for the first time the words to one of the Christmas carols, which has come to be a standard part of our collection of well-loved carols today, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Interestingly, this song did not find its way into general use for over 20 years. Around 1890, it came into use, and then it swept over the world. Luke tells us in his gospel, the narrative of the birth of Jesus, about Joseph who went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. The word Bethlehem literally means house of bread. It's more than a coincidence that the birth of Jesus was associated with such a name. We look in the Gospels, the stories of Jesus' life, and we see that Jesus fed the multitudes. In fact, this is the only miracle which is recorded by all four Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You remember Jesus taught His followers to pray, Give us this day our daily bread. That's in the Lord's Prayer. One of His great claims was, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. How fitting it was then that the birth of Jesus was in the town of Bethlehem, the house of bread. We see the city of Bethlehem many times in the pages of the Old Testament. For example, Rachel, Jacob's wife, whom he dearly loved, died in childbirth near Bethlehem. He mourned for her, and he erected a pillar over her grave. In fact, travelers to this place today can still see Rachel's tomb. Uh, another story from the Old Testament, the story of Ruth, beautiful story, which shows a steadfast love between two women. That has a definite bearing upon Bethlehem. You remember Naomi persuaded Orpah to return to her own land, Moab, and then Ruth uttered those words that we remember. Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. Whither thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God, my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. 
the Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. Orpah and Ruth, Naomi's daughters-in-law. So Ruth and Naomi went to Bethlehem. Ruth could not foresee that she would marry a good man whose name was Boaz. She did not know that she would hold in her arms a son who was to be the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. I'm sure Ruth had no idea that the Christ child who was to be born in Bethlehem could be traced back in bloodline to her. She went to Bethlehem motivated only by the genuine wholesome love for her mother-in-law, her dear friend. Another Old Testament example, the prophet Micah said, speaking of Bethlehem, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel. That's Micah 5 verse 2. So here it is, or was, an insignificant, sleepy, little, unimportant, overlooked town of Bethlehem, a town which was almost overshadowed by the more important Jerusalem, which was just a few miles up the road. Perhaps many of the citizens of Bethlehem either had not heard or had forgotten those prophecies about Bethlehem being the place from which would come the one who was to be ruler in Israel. The people living there were not highly educated folks either. Many were shepherds or merchants who lived from day to day, from year to year, perhaps taking advantage of their close proximity to Jerusalem for economic survival. You remember the words of the Christmas carol, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Those words would surely fit that place. Those who could not find accommodations up in Jerusalem must have muttered their displeasure to themselves that they had to travel six more miles on down the winding road to Bethlehem. It was a curvy road that twisted along a bleak ridge. Then just before entering town, a traveler came around a final bend from which he could look over and see what we now call the shepherd's field, where many of the sheep were kept for temple sacrifice there in Jerusalem. Moving on into the little town, the traveler would notice that Bethlehem itself was a maze of twisting cobblestone lanes. There were a few small shops and nooks where merchants sat lazily on small stools, waiting for somebody to show an interest in what they had to sell. But for the most part, Bethlehem was the epitome of backwardness. But then, one day, things began to happen. Word got out that Caesar Augustus, sitting way off there on his throne, had issued a decree for enrollment for later taxation. My, weren't they already paying enough taxes? Well, every cloud has its silver lining, they reason. The decree stated that everyone would have to return to his native city for this enrollment. If that were to be the case, then Bethlehem could expect a big influx of people coming back. So many who had been born there had chosen to leave and go elsewhere. They said there's no future for them in a place like Bethlehem of all places. And sure enough, 
The days came when people began pouring into town. Not only were there those people who were born in Bethlehem, but they were beginning to catch the overflow from up in Jerusalem, which could not hold all the multitudes of people who had to return there. Bethlehem was a logical place for people to try to find lodging when they couldn't find a place in the overcrowded Jerusalem. And so this dead little town came to life. Lethargic merchants reached back into their storage rooms and brought out trinkets and goods that they had lost all hope of selling, polished and dusted these off, raised the price several times, began to make a killing out of these new people who had come to town. Oh, it was an exciting time. But before long, the hoopla and the fanfare was all over. People began leaving, and the Bethlehem people were beginning to say to themselves, Boy, that was great while it lasted, but I'm glad it's over. Ooh, I'm exhausted. Well, days and weeks and months passed, during which time those Bethlehem folks were counting their blessings and their money. Yes, it had been good. But now, word had leaked out to them again that all was not well. Herod was upset about something regarding a talk he had had with a group of men who had come to see him. These men were called wise men, and it seems that they had deceived Herod by not reporting back to him after they had found out about some little baby's birth. Oh, well, these people in Bethlehem probably thought, so what? That's Herod's problem. How can it affect us way down here in Bethlehem? Oh, little did the people of Bethlehem know how it would affect them. Perhaps it was good that they did not know ahead. It would have been too much for them to look ahead to with dread. It happened all so quickly. Herod's troops came storming into town. And before anyone knew what was happening, they had killed all their little children, two years old and under. By decree of Herod, surely Herod was insane. What in the world would cause him to issue such an inhumane order as that? As the people of Bethlehem and the region around about were continuing to try to comfort each other in their agony of loss of their little children, Someone mentioned something about Herod's trying to kill one particular child who was reported to have been born several months before, one whom Herod had heard was to be the king of the Jews. Why, I am the king of the Jews, Herod thought. So I'm not going to tolerate anybody else who might overthrow me. And that's why all the little children had been killed. The people of Bethlehem never got over what had happened to them. They were never the same again. Some of the families carried the harsh pangs of grief to their dying days. They even passed it on to their other children who were born later. Even these new children lived in fear when they were told what had happened to their brothers and sisters before them. The coming of a baby had revolutionized a town. They could not see how it would be for good, at least not right then. Oh, but that's often, so often the way it is. We have to get past the immediate and look backward for God's will to make any sense sometimes. 
as Jesus made his appearance in that little town of Bethlehem some 2,000 plus years ago, he comes to us in much the same way today. How did he come back then? Let me mention several ways. First, he came silently. Most of the town people in Bethlehem did not know that Jesus had been born. Those who came for the census were not aware of his birth. I'm sure that the innkeeper whom we thought about last Sunday, though he knew a baby had been born, he did not know the significance of that baby's birth. The religious leaders of the day, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, were all ignorant of what had happened. If you had stopped people on the streets of Bethlehem that next morning and asked them if anything had happened which was particularly important the night before, no doubt you would have been told, well, no, not that we know of. Yes, Jesus came silently. He came that way back then. That's the way he comes into our lives today, too. Not with great fanfare and loud ballyhoo that he enters a life. Although some people respond to what has happened with a great emotional outburst. That's all right for those who want to express it those ways. But we must remember that when Jesus comes into a, a life, someone has said it's not how high you jump, but rather how straight you walk when you come back down to earth. That makes the difference. Neither emotion nor the lack of it is the proof of a genuine experience with the Lord. What really counts is the fact that one has opened up the heart and has allowed Christ to come in, cleanse wickedness, forgive sin, and redirect life. I think that's what Phillips Brooks had in mind when he wrote, How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming. But in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him, still the dear Christ enters in. Another thing about Jesus' coming, there was joy at his coming. There's an old saying which says that there are four things that cannot be hidden. A mountain love, joy, and somebody riding a camel. <laughs> I guess that's pretty true. If you've ever been to the Holy Land ridden a camel, you know what that's all about. I know it's true about joy. Joy just can't be concealed. You remember the old spiritual describes that feeling. It says, my, whole, my soul's so happy that I can't sit down. Even the most crusty, sophisticated adult can't really control a good case of joy. Can you imagine some stiff, solemn individual who never seems to smile, hard, cold, unemotional, who finds out that he has just become a grandfather for the first time? That joy is going to find some way to be expressed. Maybe that baby was even named after him. You're talking about joy. He's going to have joy and going to let it be known. And so it is with Jesus. When he was born in Bethlehem, there was joy. The angels of heaven rejoiced at his coming. And when he comes into our hearts today, there's great joy. <clears throat> the 15th chapter of Luke's gospel gives us three stories. The lost sheep, lost coin, and the lost son. We call him the prodigal son. Each time when that which was lost had been found, there was great joy expressed. We read statements such as, 
I say unto you, likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety-nine just persons that need no repentance. That's Luke 15, verse 7. And then in verse 10, likewise I say to you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Holman Hunt received inspiration to paint his famous picture, The Light of the World, while he was on a visit to Bethlehem. This picture depicts an imposing personage standing under a midnight sky, wearing a robe of white, on his head a crown of thorns, and in one hand a lantern red and glowing, and the reflection falls on a door whose hinges are rusty and over whose, which threshold, threshold has been growing creeping vines and weeds. The other hand, nail-pierced, knocks gently on the door, which has never been opened. Beautiful picture by Holman Hunt, The Light of the World. This picture brings to mind the words from the book of Revelation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. As we come to the Christmas season, we hear our Lord saying to us, Behold, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. When he's allowed to come in, he comes silently, yet surely. And then there's great joy at his coming. One song asks the question, have you any room for Jesus? Room for pleasure, room for business, but for Christ the crucified, not a place that he can enter in the heart for which he died? When a man returned home from work one day, his wife told him that a new minister had called on her. What did he say? asked the husband. He asked, does Christ live here? The wife said, I didn't know what to answer. Angrily, the husband said, well, why didn't you tell him that we go to church, we read the Bible, and we say our prayers regularly? The wife said, honey, he didn't ask those things. What he asked was only, does Christ live here? The husband's face was flushed with indignation. He should have known, he growled, that we are respectable people. But dear, said the wife, he didn't ask if we were respectable people. He just asked, does Christ live here? The question obsessed both husband and wife for days. Finally, they fell to their knees and invited Christ into their lives. And at length, little by little, slowly but surely, their mode of living changed. The love of the Lord's presence radiated about to their friends and neighbors. Christ lived in their hearts and in their home. Does Christ live in your home? Does he live in your heart? Behold, I stand at the door and knock, he says. Oh, how wonderful if he hears us respond with this saying, Oh, come to my heart, Lord Jesus. There is room in my heart for thee. May God grant that we may all be sincere when we sing, Oh, holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell, O oh, come to us, abide with us, our Lord 
Emmanuel. Father, this is our prayer, which we offer right now. We want Jesus to come in fully. In his name we ask it. Amen. <laughs>